Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. Now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Sometimes it's the simple things in life that make us happy, like a relaxing walk through the woods or biting into a homegrown apple fresh off the tree in the fall. But as the weather gets colder, lots of people enjoy curling up to read a good mystery. Usually the mystery revolves around a murder. But what if, what if that mystery involves a tree? Maybe the tree has suddenly gone into decline when it was perfectly healthy just months beforehand. Maybe it's a fruit tree that suddenly stops producing fruit. Well, that might have been something that the creators of the Detective Dendro series had in mind when they created this series of educational mysteries that you can find in the International Society of Arboriculture's bi-monthly magazine, Arborist News. In this wonderful series, Detective Dendro travels around the world to investigate tree mysteries with his sidekick, Codet. Each issue, I love to read about the good detective's latest adventure. It always makes me think that anyone who grows fruit trees and other trees can find joy in becoming a tree detective. When we're curious and attentive to our trees and how they change over time, we can discover potential problems and resolve them easily before they get out of hand. So in today's show, I wanted to feature some of the talent behind Detective Dendro. My guests are Lindsay Mitchell, the Managing Editor at the International Society of Arboriculture, and Sarah Ruark, Technical Advisor at the Davy Institute, the research arm of Davy Tree. Sarah is actually one of the Detective Dendro writers and a tree detective in her own right. But before we dive into the show, I would love to hear from you. Have you had a tree mystery that you've had to solve? Or have there been some mysteries that have left you baffled? During the live show, we'd love to hear from you. So you can send in your questions or your comments, or just send us an email to say hi. If you do, we'll enter you into this month's contest to win a Davy Tree backpack valued at $30. To enter the contest, just send us an email to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. I look forward to hearing from you. 
So let's start with Lindsay Mitchell, Managing Editor of Arborist News. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the show today. Hi, Susan. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here because we are going to talk about my hero, Detective Dendro. And honestly, I love reading the the stories every couple of months. They're so much fun. Now, Detective Dendro's name comes from the word dendrology. Mm -hmm. What is dendrology? So dendrology is the scientific study of trees. We wanted to use that to tie in the detective's purpose. And also Detective Dendro series loves alliteration. So that Detective Dendro um, pairing was so on brand for, for what we were trying to go for. So tell me a little bit about the good detective's personality. So what is he like as a, as a character? So he is, I think, fueled a lot by just a love for trees and an admiration for them. Everywhere he goes around the world, he usually finds something that he can admire, whether it's um, a particular local tree or the um, the backyard or the garden of, of the client he's visiting. Um, and he's also a teacher. He'll always jump at the opportunity to um, instruct his his assistant Kodit in whatever they're looking at. Kodit is kind of the foil for Dendro. He's an inexperienced but very enthusiastic diagnostician himself. And he'll typically jump to the first conclusion that comes to his mind, which gives Dendro the opportunity to get him to dig a little deeper. And I think that is um, also what we're, you know, what we're offering to our readers as well is to look further than just the surface level. You know, Dendro is just a a very cool cucumber kind of guy. He's not ruffled by much. He's definitely evolved a little bit over the years. There are some fun details that we don't get get to pull into the stories very much anymore. But for example, Dendro absolutely loves uh, onions. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you say that because it's very cute. Like in each mystery, Detective Dendro as well, I just got a call from Texas and, you know, it's a really important issue about a tree. And I heard they have really good food there. Like he's all about food, you know, the local... Uh, Mm -hmm. famous dishes and things like that. So he's got this wonderful, funny character that I really like. Mm -hmm. So what is your role? You're the editor. And I understand that different people write the Detective Dendro Mysteries each month. So what role do you play? So I am uh, primarily a coordinator. My main task is finding people who um, not only are qualified to write these stories, but also who are willing, um, who love uh, the format. Um, And I work with them to um, help them focus a topic or or a mystery. And I also, once I have a draft in hand, I'll spend some time, you know, making sure that the story flows, that the dialogue is very present, because the dialogue is an enormous part of the stories and and what makes them work. One of the things that we have to make sure um, is that the information that's packaged within the story is accurate and useful. So all of these articles, because they do have a technical aspect, they do receive um, an external peer review from other subject matter experts. And that is also something that I coordinate. Okay, so tell me a little bit, can you give me like one of the stories, what kind of story would we encounter in Detective Dendro? 
one of my favorite stories that uh, it was actually one of the first stories that I edited when I first came on board with ISA um, was the case of the Christmas catastrophe, um, which I believe was in the December issue of 2018. Um, that was written by James Coleman. He actually used to be our primary writer for Detective Dendro. Um, really excellent stories. And in that story, Dendro and Codet go to visit a friend's house for the holidays. He has just done up his whole house, his yard, just almost every light and inflatable you can imagine. Um, and while they're visiting, a tree branch falls on the house. And so Coda and Detective Dendro go out back and they try to figure out what's going on. And they have this just enormous tree that is all wrapped up in lights. And it turns out the tree owner had never taken the lights off of the tree from season to season, which had caused some girdling issues and a branch had died. There's some dialogue in that story that just made me laugh out loud. <laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah, if I remember correctly, the tree branch falls on the house and Kodit looks up and goes, Santa? <laughs> <laughs> That's very cute. And of course, Dendro would be, it's elementary, my dear Kodit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so girdling, which means that the branch was like too, like obviously the, the string of lights was too tight on the branch mm -hmm. and the branch sort of was squeezed and got weak, I guess. Sarah can explain that to us a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, actually, Sarah, can we call you in on that? What would have, would that really cause a tree branch to fall being, having a ring of lights around it? The most important part of the tree is really just under the bark, which is where the vascular system is what's moving water and nutrients all throughout the tree. And so when you start to get girdling, say, from string lights being wrapped around, then you're killing those cells that are so important and kind of, you know, cutting off the circulation, you could think of it. That makes sense. Like if I were to tie something very tightly around my arm, I guess my arm would wither. It would not do very well if it could, didn't get, couldn't get the blood. And I guess it's similar with the tree branch. Mm -hmm. So Lindsay, what, what other kinds of mysteries might we get in Detective Dendro? They cover just about every problem you can think of. We've had articles on tree injection practices. We've had articles on fungus. We've had articles on performing a proper pre-climb inspection. We have a lot of articles that cover uh, insects and other diseases. Um, and so you can find just about anything that suits your fancy in the broad scope of articles going back all the way back to 2004 when the series first started. How about now, obviously, in this show, we're very interested in fruit trees. Um, have they been covered much in the series? And can you remember any stories? They haven't been covered quite as much, which I think is a wonderful opportunity for moving forward. But we do have an article called The Avocado Aficionado, in which uh, a gentleman is trying to grow avocado trees in his yard, in his neighborhood, in a more urban setting, and they just won't bear fruit. They seem to be in good health. The flowers all look good, but no avocados are growing. So Detective Dendro and Kodit come over, they inspect the trees, everything looks fine. The usual diseases that you might see in avocados are not present. And then they discover that there are apparently two types of avocado trees, a type A and a type B, and they both go through male and female stages, but at different times of the day. And the client had only planted trees that were all male or all female at the exact same time. So they weren't pollinating each other at all. Wow, that's a big one. Oh my gosh. And, you know, especially with fruit trees where 
a lot of fruit trees, you don't necessarily have male and female, but you need two different varieties Mm -hmm. in order for them to produce fruit. And I have had people come to me and say, I planted a plum tree seven years ago, seven years ago, and I can't figure out why it doesn't have any fruit. And they didn't do their research to figure out that these plum trees need a pollination partner. So if there is not Mm -hmm. another compatible plum tree anywhere nearby, there is no opportunity for pollination to happen unless you get a rogue bee coming from miles away with a little (laughs) bit of pollen on its little bee parts, you know? (laughs) So um, yeah, that's a great story. We've got a couple of emails here. So this one is from Joyce. Joyce writes, wow, what a concept. Brilliant. I'm listening from Jackson, Wyoming, better than Sam Spade. I like that. Yes, definitely. (laughs) We've got another one here. And this is from Susan in Ontario. The nine apple trees in our community gardens were defoliated by gypsy moths this Mm -hmm. spring, but put out new leaves, but had few or no apples this fall. Is this a normal reaction to being stripped bare? And will they most likely produce next year? Well, I think our resident detective is a good one to talk to about that. (laughs) Uh, Sarah, do you have any comments on how these gypsy moths and the defoliation might have affected these apple trees? A tree as a living organism needs to um, be uh, passively making decisions about where the energy goes. And I think defoliation is removing the leaves, which is how the tree produces food and energy for itself. And so the priority would go to refoliating rather than fruiting um, to try to save itself. You know, it's not a conscious decision, but sometimes it's easier to talk about trees as if they can make these decisions for themselves. But I would think that's most likely what happened is all the energy got redirected making leaves for photosynthesis. And I do think next year um, it should be back to normal if it has all its leaves. Um, We've got another email here from Edward. Ah, okay. So Edward writes, hello, what exactly is tree blight? Thanks. Okay. That's a good question for you, Sarah. I mean, blight is a very general term that could describe a lot of things. So I don't know. I would think typically you think of a blight as a disease, a pathogen that's infecting the tree, but without getting any more specific, I'm not sure. There's lots of fruit trees gets lots of different blights like fire blight. And um, there's so many different diseases. I do, I teach a course called um, fruit tree pest and disease management, where I teach people for each fruit tree, there are probably five to seven common diseases that you get all the time. And if you know what they are, you know what to look for in advance. So that's my own personal way of being a detective dentro is to prepare, be prepared. So actually back to you, Lindsay, Um, I understand that you have actually written one of the stories. How did that come about? And, and what was that like for you? I wrote a story about uh, the woolly bear caterpillar. I wrote a story about a gentleman who had had a previous infestation of bagworms um, and saw a caterpillar on his precious trees, freaked out and called the detective over right away just to be sure. And so was able to educate about is a harmless creature they don't actually spend much of their time on trees at all um and it was just it was it was probably more of a nice highlight for the caterpillar than the trees um but uh, i had a good time writing that (laughs) 
So we've got another email here. It's from Nan. Nan writes, enjoying the show. Hello, enjoying the show today from London, Ontario. Kudos to your guest. Thanks. Thank you, Nan. If arborists want to learn or if people want to learn about trees, fruit trees or any kinds of trees, they could actually just go to the university extensions. They can look up whatever disease they want to learn. Um, Why is this different? Why do you think this is more helpful somehow? I think it's a great companion to those fact sheets. Um, I think obviously we want to encourage people to, to, to look at those resources in addition to reading things like Detective Dendro. But my personal idea on why Detective Dendro works so well as an educational model more than just entertainment is stories have a way of sticking into our minds. Um, There are so many study techniques out there that involve coming up with creative connections um, or telling yourself a story to try and remember that information. So if you got a laugh out of a Detective Dendro story or you remember jumping to the right conclusion before you turned to the end of uh, of the newsletter, I think that that would stick in your mind. And if you came across a similar situation yourself, you might remember, aha, I remember that story that I enjoyed so much. Um, And you could actually bring that forward into your practical day to day. Now we have another email here from Hank. Aha. This is a great question. Hank writes, and this is his mystery. Hello. Can we prune our trees now into the fall? I live here in the GTA, which is the greater Toronto area. So, um, Sarah, can I ask you to answer that question? Well, I I was going to defer back to you because uh, you live in Canada. I'm based in Texas, so I wouldn't want to give the wrong advice for your neck of the woods. Absolutely. Well, I will definitely answer that, and we do not encourage it. So our concern is if you prune right now, Hank, uh, before the the winter, it may spur some new growth in the trees. So let's say you prune your tree, you get a little bit of new growth, and the new growth is kind of tender. And let's say there's a frost, the new growth then will break and snap, and that becomes an entrance point for pest and disease problems. So I know here in my orchard, we finished all our pruning before midsummer, for sure. Just like we don't fertilize after midsummer, we do not prune. So here's what I would suggest, Hank, not sure what you're growing, but early spring or late winter is a terrific time to prune. Because at that point, soon it will be springtime. During the spring, the tree will be able to heal itself. It will be sort of coming back to life um, and it can heal itself. Whereas in the winter, it's not really growing that much. So it won't be able to heal those pruning cuts. How do you feel about that, Sarah? How did I do as a tree detective? That makes sense to me. It's, uh, you know, it's very different here in Texas. We usually don't um, have a harsh winter like you have in Canada. So we don't uh, normally think about those kind of things. Yeah, well, we've got lots to think about shoveling snow, you know, (laughs) salt from the streets that grows goes on our gardens. Oh, Mm. my gosh, we have lots to worry about. I got to come visit you guys in Texas. So um, let's hear a few words from our sponsors. And then afterwards, Sarah, I want to talk with you a little bit about your five steps to investigating a tree mystery. 
How do you, and we'll talk about this, what are the steps you take when you are investigating a tree mystery, a tree problem, uh, and trying to diagnose it and figure it out? So Sarah and Lindsay, are you okay hanging on the line for a minute or two? Sure thing. Okay, great. All right, let's hear a few words from our sponsors. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training Website, OrchardPeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and we'll be back right after the break. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffletree Nursery. Call us today. come with their own mysteries. Sometimes they produce poor quality fruit. Sometimes pests or diseases attack the leaves and branches. Instead of getting stressed out about it, why not get curious? In OrchardPeople.com's online course, Fruit Tree Pests and Disease Management, you will learn to be a fruit tree detective. We will teach you how to identify fruit tree problems so that you can recognize them early on and nip them in the proverbial bud. We will also teach you fruit tree pest and disease prevention strategies that you can use to grow organic fruit trees without toxic sprays. Visit orchardpeople.com slash workshops to learn more. That's orchardpeople.com slash workshops and become your own tree detective today. For 10% off the price of any course or bundle, use the discount code PODCAST. (laughs) 
welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In the show today, we have been talking about being a tree detective. When you are observant and noticing changes in your fruit trees and other trees, you can catch most problems before they get out of hand. So today we've been talking about the International Society of Arboriculture's Detective Dendro series. It's a really fun series where the good detective and his sidekick, Codet, travel around investigating tree mysteries. My guests on the show today are Lindsay Mitchell, the managing editor at the International Society of Arboriculture, and Sarah Ruark, technical advisor at the Davy Institute, the research arm of Davy Tree. Sarah is one of the Detective Dendro writers and a tree detective in her own way. But before we continue the show, I would love to hear from you. Have you solved or tried to solve any fruit tree mysteries or general tree mysteries? Send us an email today and right now with a question or a comment. Or you can even just write us to say hello, and we will enter you into today's contest. And the prize today is a really nice, sturdy Davy Tree backpack, valued at $30. To enter the contest, all you have to do is write us right now at instudio101 at gmail.com. And be sure to include your first name and where you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. So in the first part of the show, we spoke to Lindsay about Detective Dendro, this wonderful fictional character that solves tree mysteries. Now let's speak to Sarah Ruark, who's one of the people who writes the Detective Dendro mysteries. So she is technical advisor at the Davy Institute, the research arm of Davy Tree. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming to be with me on the show today. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit what it's like to write these detective dendro mysteries. Do you just come up with ideas, you know, out of whatever, just make up ideas as you go along? Well, I will say um, I come from a scientific background. Um, I have a master's degree in plant pathology. And so I'm used to much more technical writing. So writing Detective Dendro is a little bit of a stretch. uh, And that's where Lindsay is very helpful, especially when it comes to the dialogue and stuff. But uh, unlike her issue with the story she wrote where, you know, she had to really think about what topics she felt comfortable covering Um, Because I encounter so many mysteries in trees every day in my job, it's kind of easy to just pull the more interesting ones, or a lot of times maybe I'll choose one based on what I have the best pictures of, um, because we do include pictures with these stories. And so that will usually give me a general idea 
what I want to write about. And then um, I usually have to embellish it because the detective uh, needs to have a good, clear solution at the end of his stories. And a lot of times for a real detective, it's not that easy. Okay, so give me an example of one of the stories that you wrote, whether it was uh, based on a real world experience or not. So the most recent one I've written um, was the case of the rowdy rooftop. And this was about a actual rooftop garden that I visited. Um, They had this Japanese garden. It was maybe 60 years old, established on the roof of this condo building in uh, downtown Houston, Texas. And uh, they had quite a few insect problems going on up there, but the Treatment was complicated by the presence of a very large koi pond that took up the majority of the center of the garden. And so you couldn't apply any pesticides or anything um, because of the risk of running off into the koi pond. And so I had the detective try to come up with an innovative way uh, to control the pest problem that would also uh, protect the safety of the fish. Okay, so tell us. We want to know. <laughs> Unless a listener knows the answer to that question, I would love to know. Yeah, so in the end, um, the detective proposed using beneficial in- insects or predatory insects um, to target the insect pests that were present on the garden. And in fact, in real life, that is what I proposed. Now, in my story, um, the garden manager was very happy with Detective Dendron and said, oh, that's a brilliant idea. I'm excited to try it out. I may have encountered less enthusiasm in the real world situation. I'm guessing that in Detective Dendro, you always have your customer or the client is always very supportive of the detective's ideas and his wisdom. But I guess in real life, it's not always so easy. Do people have strong opinions as to how to care for their tree? Uh, Usually, yes, especially like a situation like that. It's a condo association. There was a whole, you know, group of board members that were going to need to sign off on any decision. You know, um, the garden manager even said, you know, it took us over a year to decide which color to paint the bridge. So, yeah. Challenging. Now, (laughs) you did another story, I'm pretty sure. Was it another story on palm trees? Am I right? Yes. Tell me a little bit about that one. That was interesting as well. That was another real mystery. It's like, ooh, what's the answer to that one? I'm like, I can't even guess. (laughs) That one I thought would be a good one to stump the readers because it was a very unusual situation that occurred in real life in Texas this past year. And I also um, wanted to take that opportunity to share what was going on in Texas with a broader audience. So it made some news headlines last February. I'm not sure who all heard about it, but there's a very severe freeze that hit all of Texas all the way down to the Gulf Coast um, that lasted several days. And of course, we are not used to winter like that, and neither are there trees. And there are a lot of palm trees and other tropical plants uh, that are grown here that couldn't tolerate the freeze. So I decided to write a story on that where the detective would come from out of state. I had to, you know, come up with some way that he's been just so focused, laser focused on what he was doing. He missed the news story about it. He's just visiting Texas for fun. And then why are all these palm trees dead? Because I would estimate at least in Houston, 70 to 80 percent of the palm trees died from the freeze. And so I have the detective encounter as he's driving from the airport, all these dead palm trees. And he's trying to piece together what could be happening because it seems to be spreading among different species. 
And then in the end, he also sees um, what's commonly referred to as a sago palm. That's actually not a palm tree at all, but another genus that's also dead. And then that's his big aha moment is, oh, it must be environmental because it's crossed not just species, but even between genre of uh, plants. Aha. So (laughs) this is fascinating because we kind of get a glimpse into what his methodology is. So when you're reading these stories, he comes out with these bits of wonderful knowledge and you think, how does he piece this together? But when you and I were chatting earlier, you said, oh, no problem. It's a five-step process diagnosing. So please do share with us, what is the, the secret to diagnosing problems, whether it's fruit trees or other trees? What are the five steps that you go through when you encounter a real life tree mystery? Okay. So what I've found works best for me is, yeah, this five-step process, and probably you ask another tree detective or plant detective, they'll have their own. But for me, yes, I start with the one we talked about already, which is to identify the plant. It just really helps to know what you're looking at that kind of gives you a direction to go in. The second thing would be to look for symptoms or signs. So symptoms are going to be, you know, what is wrong with it? And maybe there's something very obvious, you know, this tree, all the leaves have turned yellow and it feels like okay, well, I know what the symptom is, but I would encourage at this step to really closely examine all parts of the tree that you can see and maybe even try to see what might be going on with the roots um, because that's important. And of course, signs would be evidence that there's a fungus growing on it. Maybe you see a mushroom or the presence of an insect. You know, maybe you see a borer in a hole or something like that. My third step would then be to notice patterns in the landscape. So very often I'm investigating you know, a prize tree that's the center of someone's landscape in their backyard. Well, I want to step back and kind of not focus in on I'm here to see the tree, but what else is going on in this yard? How do the other plants that are planted here look? What does the grass or the turf look like? You know, maybe you start to see a pattern. Oh, everything on this side of the yard that gets more sun is looking, you know, kind of similar. So this might not be a problem just with this tree, but more something environmental that's affecting you know, this side of the yard. After that, um, the fourth step is to ask questions. So I think of this as like, I want to write a biography of this tree. I want to know where it came from. How long has it been here? What has ever been done to it? (laughs) What has it experienced? What was it like last year? And this is where your experience really comes into play to help learn which questions you need to ask. Um, But really, you just want to know everything you possibly can. Once I've done those four steps, the fifth step, if I think it's necessary, is to try to collect a sample and send it to a lab, see if they can detect something that maybe isn't obvious or clear just from a visual inspection. Or maybe I just get on the internet and say, I'm going to just search, you know, all right, I at least identified it's this kind of tree. What kind of problems are common with it? And maybe that will help me uh, get an idea to revisit some of the previous steps. So you gather your in your information in your investigation, and you're putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And I think for me, the, the biggest lesson is always to think of trees, it's not like humans where pretty much every human can get pretty much every disease out there like it's, but trees are very specific in the kinds of pests and diseases that are attracted to them. So that narrows it down so much, doesn't it? 
Um, that's wonderful. So there you are with your five-step process. Um, there was another story that you told me about on the phone, and it had to do with roots. Now, you can't see roots. So tell me the Detective Dendro story where he figured out right away that this is a root issue. Right. I'm not sure. If the, I think the detective did have a story about this. It wasn't one I've written, but I had a story where I saw this one. Um, yeah, root problems are very difficult because the symptoms are very similar to a lot of other problems. And there's no way usually with a tree to inspect the roots directly. Um, and I was on a property, the client was concerned, their tree was just not looking vigorous. It was, you know, just kind of wilting and yellowing, and he wasn't sure. And really, even before he had closed the car door, I said, how moist is that planting bed it's in? Because it was in a planting bed with a lot of flowers and stuff right next to the house. And he says, oh, it stays pretty saturated here. And sure enough, we went and it was, you know, almost a pond. And I said, you know, I think this is probably a Phytophthora root rot because Phytophthora is an organism that loves water. It actually has spores that swim and you'll often encounter it in areas that remain wet for long periods of time. But the only and way that, to confirm is with a lab test, but yes, I, <laughs> that was my suspicion. And how many minutes did it take you to diagnose that that, I mean, that was a very lucky day. I mean, it was like within the first minute, I said, let's just check the soil moisture. And sure enough, it was saturated. Now, of course, to confirm I was right, we would have had to collect a sample and, and send it to a lab. But really, the underlying cause is let's re- get rid of this excess water and let the ground dry out. And when it comes to trees, how often is it our fault as the humans who take care of the trees? How often do you encounter and what are common things you encounter that we do wrong? I mean, so again, my focus is usually on trees that are in people's yards. So in general, this is not where um, trees evolved to live in a perfectly manicured lawn. You know, uh, they're more accustomed to a forest where they're protected with other trees. There's a lot of leaf litter working back into the ground and regenerating the soil. It doesn't occur in your yard. Um, So most trees I see are stressed for one or more reasons, just because they're not in a forest. Um, I would say the biggest, most common mistake I see is construction damage. We've put in a new patio, a pool, a driveway, a whole house, and not taken enough consideration for the damage it's doing to the root zone of the tree. We just know I want that really pretty tree right next to the pool or right in front of my house. And it's, you know, roots have been severely damaged by all the construction activity. So what is your advice as someone who's passionate about trees for all of us to do to, to care for whatever tree we have, whether it's a fruit tree or a native tree, what would you like to see the public do in terms of taking care of their trees? Well, I think in general, if you have established trees in your yard, it's just to watch them. Nine times out of 10, I'm called to a client's house. This tree suddenly died, according to them. And I get there and I say, oh, this tree has clearly been in decline for a long time. And you haven't, you've noticed now because the whole thing has died. But this was a long process. So to really carefully look at your trees on your property I think it's something I would encourage everyone to do. And the second thing would be if you're planning a construction project, 
have an arborist come out and give their opinion before you get going with the construction. That's, That's fantastic. Protect the tree before this construction begins because there's very little we can do once the damage has been done. Um, so how can people, how can listeners read these stories um, and enjoy them? So uh, Detective Dendro is published exclusively um, in Arborist News, ISA's member newsletter. So in order to read um, any of the articles within a calendar year, a present calendar year, you do have to be an ISA member. But um, all issues of Arborist News after that year become freely available to the public. So anything... Uh, for now, from October 2020 and before, you can go online to the ISA website and read um, on the Arborist News page. Okay, so they Google um, ISA Arborist News, and then you can go in and anybody can see the stories. I highly recommend it. Lots of fun. And it's just a great way to learn where you don't even feel like you're learning. So... And Sarah, any last words from for you from you about uh, our hero, Detective Dendro? No, I do look forward to uh, writing some more uh, stories for him to solve because there is a satisfaction that uh, he always has the answer, and so <laughs> I need that sometimes, especially if I've had a series of uh, mysteries that I couldn't directly solve. So. Hmm. We all need him in our backyard helping us all out. So that's great. Well, guys, we have a contest today and we have a prize from Sarah's company, Davy Tree. It's a really nice looking backpack, a Davy Tree backpack. So Gary in the studio, this is your moment. This is my moment. Now, what I'm going to do, who wants to, I'm going to shake the bucket of all the emailers and someone has to tell me when to stop and then I will pull the paper out. So who wants to do that? I'm seeing a smiling <laughs> Lindsay. What do you think, Lindsay? I can take this burden. Okay. This is a burden, exactly. <laughs> okay, hang on. You're going to hear the shaking and you tell me when to stop. Ready? All right. Here we go. Now. Okay. Hold on. And the winner is Susan H. from Midland, Ontario. Oh, very nice. Okay, Susan, you are our winner. That is wonderful. And what we're going to do, Susan, is we are going to send you an email and you'll we'll get your address and you will get the prize right away. Okay, well, thank you so much to both of you guys for, for being on the show today, for introducing my favorite detective. And I really look forward to seeing some more stories. More on fruit trees, please. I would love some more on fruit trees. Certainly. So hopefully Susan, you can write one too, maybe. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. I would love to, actually. That would be really fun. Okay, we'll talk about that. That would yes. be quite fun. I could write a few of them. I've got lots of ideas. So thank you very much for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast. I am Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com. And I look forward to seeing you guys again next month for a new topic. I'll talk to you then. Bye.
You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.